Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com, episode 139, June the 5th. 2020. And it's officially winter, isn't it, Mark, here in the Southern Hemisphere? And I'll tell you what, it has been cold. Certainly not as cold as some places, but I think we had our we had our coldest first day of winter, Mark, for I think it was 10 or 15 years. Has it been a bit chill out your way? It has definitely been surprisingly cold. We, um, even in winter, we probably stay in the Celsius system of temperature in double figures, you know, above 10 degrees. But um, to, last night it got down to um, very close to zero and um, don't think it got much above um, eight or nine degrees all day today. So we've been very cold for our part of the world. Yes, ditto here. Not quite as Cold as that, although we did have one day, that coldest day that got up to eight or nine, I think, is our high temperature there. Um, it would be good for the people in the snowfields, um, except that um, although they've started relaxing the restrictions a little bit, haven't they? So you can probably have two people per mountain or something like that, Mark, so you'd have some good good crisp skiing there, wouldn't you? You'd have nice powdery snow that you could... Um, slice through um but um yeah what's been happening with the restrictions being lifted in your part of the world have people gone nuts and and a bit over the top and um flooding well they're probably not flooding the beaches at the moment but the um the can you eat out in restaurants now where you are Yes, the uh, the restrictions have eased. I don't. I, can. I think we've gone. We went. We're at level four. We've gone to level three, and now we're at level two. And I think you can have, you know, a restaurant can have. Oh, I don't know. Like ten people in the restaurant, or. Um, or um, yeah, I don't hold me to the. I think we're the, we're, we're similar to. Yeah, we're similar to that. Not that I've gone out to any restaurants, Mark, and uh, I still rely on my lov- lovely wife to cook most of the time, and um, I'm a little bit slack, even with. And I've made a few loaves of bread, uh, and I've cooked a little bit of pasta with the girls. We had a great time making some pasta a couple of weeks ago. Um, I should do that more often because it is very easy. Do you make pasta at home, Mark? I have made it a few times, mainly like you. With it's sort of like one of those family things, isn't it? Everyone gets together and whacks the uh, flour all over the bench and uh, gets their hands right into the dough. It's a very tactile and um, um, family-oriented experience. Um, so yeah, I, I don't. I've, I've tasted your um, gnocchi, the famous. Uh, caramel knocky and um, I would never pretend that anything I do comes into that league but yeah I, I, I roll a few bits out Brendan good good well I don't know how to answer that um, <laughs> do we have any reviews Mark no we do don't have anything have, well I, I do I just um, it's sort of not really a review I just wanted to um, touch on a bit of a controversial topic I know we sort of I know we 
we we're very careful about um, the topics we talk about. But I did want because this is a birding related topic. I did uh, want to yes, talk, I know where you're going. <laughs> I did want to talk about um, and and I'm going to break this into two quick parts. The first one is that um, uh, I've, uh, you know. Um, Everyone should be free to do what they want and not have the police called on them. So, Amy Cooper, you made a mistake there. But um, I did want to then this. So, I'm talking about the story in the Rambles in Central Park where a, uh, a white woman walking her dog got upset when a bird watcher suggested that this was an area the dog should not be off lead, and she threatened to call the police on him in such a way that, well, it was very threatening. But that, uh, and while that's, you know, um, that's uh, a uh, obviously a thing that um, people should not do. They should not call the police on people who, uh, you know, the police have enough to do. Well, particularly at the moment. Um, and, but the, the thing I wanted to talk about was that it does happen. Bird watching is by and large one of the great pleasures of my life. And I love, um, you know, going to places where the birds are and, and, um, and, cautiously observing them and learning about their their um their behaviors but i do know that particularly um it's been talked about in our local bird club a couple of times that uh um you know late middle-aged men largely or maybe a little bit older than that with some um, stinking large cameras and binoculars hanging around beaches um they've, they've been quite a few times when uh um uh, bird watchers have been um confronted, shall we say, about their behaviour um, and had to demonstrate by showing the photographs on their camera what they were there doing. Um, so I, I sort of, I'm, I'm just always a bit, when I do my bird watching, I, I like to be maybe aware, Brendan, of where I'm aiming the camera and uh, maybe not, um, you know, doing it in some of the more public places and trying to find um, places where the birds might be you know, a little bit more in the bush. I think it's important. I think you love heading out into the wild and just losing yourself, don't you? <laughs> and just if, if there's a few birds there that you can take a picture of, fantastic. If not, you try and find a few insects and um, it's your way of chilling out and it's great, isn't it? It's good. Um, good on you. It is. It, it's, it's, <laughs> that's all that needs to be said. Well, yeah, and I don't think yeah, I I did see that video of that woman in Central Park and it was a was a, I think it was a dog that was off leash in an area that should it should have been leashed and it was just gently asking her to put her dog back on a leash and that's when it all kicked off I think and she called 911 didn't she or threatened to and um she has she has um well, she's reported that um, she was wrong, and um, I think she did get the sack, didn't she, from her quite um, high-paying job, which I don't know whether that was going a bit too far, Mark, um, for, for that particular incident. Um, so she's certainly paying for it. And, but, um, yeah, it is strange times that we're living in. And um, considering strange times, Mark, you need to talk to me about where eels come from. Well, this is we were talking about um, various articles that we might have a yarn about today in our in our news edition, um, and um, 
And this one is is from The New Yorker. Uh, Brooke Jarvis has written recently about um, the mystery of the origin, you know, of the reproductive origin of eels. And, um, and it is a, a lovely story which talks about um, Sigmund Freud and it talks about uh, Darwin and Mendel and uh, Pasteur and... Um, and all the, the major biologists seem to have had a little bit of a, a uh, um, hand in the story of the um, of the eel. They were they are still um, they're widely eaten. Um, there's many parts of Europe now where they're protected um, because their numbers are obviously, like many other species, falling. Um, but um, but the the mystery is um, that uh, they you know they've they've been eaten, so they've been cut up to be cooked. But uh, the people that do that couldn't help but notice the creatures never seem to have uh, reproductive organs, no ovaries, no testicles, no eggs, um, no milt. Um, they were never observed to, eat, uh, to mate. They've been kept in captivity at times and never bred. Um, and so it's sort of become a little bit of a biological mystery from Pliny the Elder um, through the aforementioned um, uh, biology, famous biologists, and um, and even to uh, Danish um, Danish researcher Johan Schmidt, um, who uh, early this century talked about um, you know where they where they possibly came from, and fishermen have scoured the seas searching for the smallest eels to give them a clue about where maybe they were breeding, and of course um, there has been small um, small forms um smelt are they smelt um out in the sargasso sea but um even now um uh, the the uh even though plenty of larvae have been found um they really have never find out found out where the eels mate or where they actually in the sargasso sea where they um where they actually um uh, uh, lay their eggs or, or do what it. do they do? Um, elvers, where the elvers come from. So it's it's a great article with lots of um, reference to biological history and and uh, and it's a wonderful read, but um, it doesn't answer the problem at the heart, Brendan. <laughs> so what's the bottom line with the article? We don't know where they breed. <laughs> <laughs> We don't know where they bred. It is pretty amazing, though, that in this day and age, Mark, that um, there's a mystery like this still out there or still to be solved. Mm, yes, <laughs> you are so correct. And I just love the word. Um, what's the word you said there? Um, Elva. Elva, yes. Elva, it's a great word, isn't it? Um, I have to weave it into more conversations. I don't know how, but um, I will somehow. Um, yes, and that was from I think the the was that the New Yorker. Yes, um, that that article. They have some quite interesting articles in the New Yorker. So, um, and we will link to all of these at vetgurus.com, And we forgot to mention our um, contact details, Mark. Um, and there's been a bit of a lack of emails the last um, week or two. That's because we probably haven't told people our email address, vetgurus at gmail.com. So say hi, tell us what you're up to during the um, lockdown or the release or whatever stage you're up to with COVID-19. And um, we always like to say hi to people. So my first news story, Mark, is 
Well, it's a bit of a follow-up to one that you briefly mentioned, isn't it? It's um, it's wildlife experts find hope amongst the ashes on Kangaroo Island, which is an area in Australia, in South Australia, um, that was affected by the the bushfires that we had um, not that long ago. Although they do seem a long time ago, don't they, Mark? Um, with what's been happening lately. Um, and the good news is that um, signs that rare birds and marsupial colonies are surviving the aftermath of those horrific bushfires. Um, and, for example, one of the one of the mammals there, the rare kangaroo island dunnart, has been captured on a series of wildlife um, cameras there um, because um, they put up, well, they put up a lot, it was something like 80 or 90 cameras um, since the, since the fires burned through around about 200,000 hectares of land, which was approximately half the island, Mark, um, and more than 90% of the donuts' habitat was burned and they were very worried about what was happening there. So they put up 50 motion-sensing cameras and the good news is they've been seen and donuts, Mark, they've been obviously congregating in the areas where there wasn't any, um, where it wasn't burned, uh, but um, they seem to be seem to be breeding and, and surviving and I think you were concerned that we may maybe losing um, another species there um, and there's they're not the only species there um, we also had um, some of the other um, iconic species like echidnas um, that they've that they found that they're still in there and for you mark um, some of the birds um, and koalas that, that they had on um, kangaroo island and the monitoring of them have been um, showing that um, the rescued koalas have been um, released back in there um, and I'm pretty sure they had a they had a chlamydia-free population of koalas at, on Kangaroo Island, so it's um, good that um, the kangaroos are still there and they're, they're releasing the ones that were were taken and rescued um, back into Kangaroo Island. So it's a bit of a good news story, Mark. Um, and the bird-wise, um, Kangaroo Island emu wren, um, they found a patch of them um, there have you seen them in the wild, Mark? I've not seen been? them in the wild. So we've got emu wrens up here, um, but um, geez, I was really scared. The emu wrens on Kangaroo Island were down to relatively low numbers, and they're an isolated population. And I was, I had great fears for them. So it's just awesome that they they've um, managed to survive in some of the unburnt parts, and hopefully. There'll be enough time for them to recover before the next natural disaster shocks the population. <laughs> That's such a positive way to end my <laughs> positive news story, Mark. Thank you very much. What's your next news story? Well, mine's uh, oh, it's not very positive for us, Brendan. Um, it's uh, a story about why um, women outlive men. Now, um, I subscribe to... A uh, number of things online, and one of them is the um, the Darwin Awards on Twitter, and I regularly see very commonly reasons that um, women outlive men on that particular uh, uh, Twitter channel where men take undue risks. But um, this article talks about another potential reason. Um, they start off talking about the antichinus, um, uh, the various species of antichinus in Australia, small marsupial carnivores. They look a lot like mice. Um, they're aggressively carnivorous, um, but they, um, they're famous because the, um, the males 
only ever reach the age of one and they never know their children or their parents because they grow for um, 10, half, 11 months and then they become sexually mature and they mate frantically until they die. Um, so uh, it's an example of uh, one of the many examples through the animal kingdom of why um, males don't live as long as females. Um, and um, some Australian researchers now, well, I think there might be a reason. Um, they argue it's uh, not to do with, um, uh, you know, um, sex hormones or um, behave different behaviours between um, different sexes. It's um, about the chromosomes. So what they're arguing here is that... Um, Males have the XY chromosome compared to females and mammals have the XX chromosome. And the smaller sex chromosome, they're arguing, is the reason um, that uh, males don't live as long. Some, you know, amphibians, um, in particular in this article, they're talking about the African bullfrog. The situation is reversed. The females have the um, uh, the uh, what's the right word, heterozygous, the XY chromosome, um, and the males have the, the, um, uh, the, the same um, uh, chromosome, um, and they've, they've gone across 229 species, and they've identified that the, the sex that has the sexer short, uh, shorter sex chromosome, um, that is strongly linked with a, a shorter lifespan, irrespective of which sex has it. So, so the 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 bad news out of this, Brendan, I took the bad news out of this particular paper, um, is that um, the Y chromosome um, is full of garbage, repetitive sequences, and transposons. Um, Dr. Lindsay Wu, an anti-aging researcher at the University of New South Wales, suggested, um, and um, and the other bad bit of news was that across the world, um, women tend to live on average for 74.7 years and men 70.2 years. But in Australia, the figures are a little bit better. Um, the men tend to uh, average to live to 80.5 years um, and, uh, and women get to 84.6. So the bad news, Brendan, is that our genes are full of junk and we're not going to live as long as some people that we spend all our time with. We're stuffed, <laughs> basically. Now, the sentence that sticks out for me in this article, Mark, is, well, there's two. Um, <laughs> there's one sort of general comment in that um, I think uh, the obvious one is that women live longer partially because they seek health care more frequently than, than men. Uh, men do the typical, yeah, I'm okay, instead of um, seeking out some help when they're, when they're unwell um, and therefore much more likely to die from preventable and treatable illnesses. But the one that really stuck to me, Mark, is this. Nearly every person <laughs> bitten this. by a shark, let me, let me say that again, nearly every person bitten by a shark around the world since records began has been a man. The male gender mark. So, what's happening there? Is that something to do with the taste of? I was going to say flesh. <laughs> <laughs> I, what is I, that? I am not prepared to hazard a guess. Um, 
whether it's men taking I can't I, it doesn't make sense that men would be that much more likely to be bitten that they constitute um uh, um what's the actual number I'm just checking um, what is it nearly it's well over 90 yeah, of 11,132 uh, 11, recorded shark attacks in Australia since 1941, 60 involved women. It's um, pretty dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, More than 90%. Dramatic. Yes. Wow. Although when you look at what's the percentage of it's increased last couple of decades, the percentage of, of surfers who are male compared with females, Mark, yeah. Um, I'd say in the old days it was mainly the, mainly the males who were surfing and um, before the females took it up. Yeah, there but was no, a, it's a pretty startling statistic. There was an interesting <laughs> point about, um, first of all, men are more likely to be overweight um, and um, and a, a, a fact about your state, about 184 men die on Victoria's roads every year compared to 70 women. We're stuffed, Brendan. We're completely we stuffed. Are, we are. So maybe the sharks are going for those chromosome um, abnormalities. <laughs> they're, they're, they're going for the, the, the male the junk. junk. <laughs> yes, yes, so to speak. So, okay, my next story is about um, bugs, Mark. Um, you love a bug story, don't you? Um, do. And it's about Earth's land insects are disappearing. I found this quite fascinating, this article, Mark. Um, the world's ants, bees, butterflies, grasshoppers, fireflies and other land-dwelling insects have been suffering population drops of about 9% per decade. However, freshwater bugs such as dragonflies and mosquitoes have been rallying. So the findings are based on 166 set of data covering over 1,600 sites in 41 countries dating back to 1925. So I found it interesting. So insects such as mosquitoes, which live in the water, as larvae and midges, flies, water beetles, etc., that spend at least part of their lives in freshwater, were found to have experienced a population increase wow. of about 11% per decade. And other bugs are disappearing at a rate of just under 1% a year. Um, so, so land bugs aren't doing well, but one in, um, bugs that um, breed or, or, or live or thrive in freshwater are, um, are increasing per decade. And freshwater covers only about 2.5% of the Earth's surface. Um, so the vast majority of insects um, live on land. So I found it quite um, interesting um, and the projecting the trends into the future shows that the land-dwelling insects would sustain a population drop of approximately 24% over 30 years, while the freshwater bugs would experience a 38% increase over the same period. Um, so they didn't break down um, the study um, finding by species, Mark, um, and they attributed the declines in the land-dwelling insects to human activities, all the usual, Mark, such as habitat destruction, fragmentation, urbanisation, light pollution and chemical pollution, while saying insecticides and increased droughts due to climate change may have well also played a role. So... I can just tell you, I just, I remember driving in the country, in country Australia, um, you know, from Sydney to Dubbo uh, with my dad when I was young and our car was completely like covered in insects. You know, you'd drive along and you could not 
do anything but um, hit grasshoppers and moths and whatever. Um, and that same drive now, you could count on one hand the number of insects that uh, expire on the speeding front part of your car. Those were the good old days when you'd pull into the service station, the petrol station, and, and you did not have to get out of the car, did you? You'd, we'd be sitting there in the back as the kids and mum and dad in the front and, and somebody smiling would come over and they'd, they'd wash your windscreen back and front um, and not put their hand out like they do in the, at, the, at the traffic section in, in the city. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so it was um, none of this self-service malarkey, Mark. Um, it was all, all, all um, you'd, you'd just sit back in your car and they'd fill up your tank and um, take your money um, while you're sitting there in the car. Sometimes you'd wander in and pay at the desk, otherwise you'd... Um so I tell you what, they were ahead of their time. It's contactless sort of um, 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 <laughs> fill up, isn't it? Eh? Yeah, that's right. Yes. So there you go. Fake animal news is my next story. But I'll, um, before I do that one, um, I think you've got one more, Mark, and it's a, it's another fishy one. It is a fishy one, um, and it's particularly um, uh, you know a topic that's close to my heart because I, I saw in the wild when we we're in Antarctica some um, some uh, orca. Um, trying to hunt um, uh, the seals on the, the uh, iceberg. So um, this story about um, orcas and great white sharks um, uh, from National Geographic uh, um, is, is right up my alley and certainly something I'm very interested uh, to keep a handle on. Um, and so a few years ago, the interesting, the story starts a few years ago when a bunch of great white sharks washed up on beaches in South Africa absent only of their liver, dead and um, dehepatocized. Um, and um, it took quite a while for people to figure out um, what was going on. But then um, some tourists in a whale-watching boat off the Farallon Islands near San Francisco witnessed two killer whales um, take a great white shark on and consume its liver and it explained what was going on um, in South Africa. Um, and um, that particular episode off uh, San Francisco was the first documented sighting of killer whales eating white sharks. And um, it leads to a new line of investigation. Could an ocean predator... Um, the, the orca, could any ocean predator, even one uh, called sometimes called a killer whale, dominate the almighty great white? Um, and it would appear from recent research that um, that's exactly what does happen, that um, that uh, great whites, that the presence of uh, orcas uh, makes a big difference to the behaviour of the sharks and also makes a big difference to um, the behaviour and the breeding success of some of the animals that might routinely be um, shark prey. So uh, a recent study showed that the presence of orca um, scared the great whites away from elephant seal colonies in the Farallon Islands, um, which in turn benefited the seals and resulted in um, a greater reproductive success. Um, the great whites, of course, being the main predators of the um, of the clumsy young elephant seals. Now, Mark, do do you agree with their comment about why they particularly target 
the liver. I can't. Uh, I can't speak personally um, to the uh, to. Um, so being, the comment was: it's likely that orcas target shark livers because they're highly uh, they're high fat and delicious. <laughs> People do the same thing. Um, well, um, unless you're um, what's his name from Can- Hannibal the Cannibal um, with butter bacon. It's the reason we love fatty foods and. Well, let me tell you a story, Mark. Um, I remember when I was young that um, in in the days when we lived in a cardboard box in the middle of the road, um, we didn't have much money, our our family, and mum used to feed us all sorts of offal and bits and pieces. (laughs) And um, I remember having liver. um, I remember having kidneys um, for dinner. um, And, well, it put me off most of those foods for life, and I think it's mainly why we're primarily... Vegetarian um, oriented um, family, and I know you're hundred percent vegetarian. But gee, they're they're very um, presumably you haven't tasted those delicacies um, um, in the past. So I'd like you to comment on that. Um, but gee, they're very strong, sort of tasting, and um, liver had a particular texture that um, I think once you've tasted it, you either love it or you cannot forget it, Mark. <laughs> Well, it's been many, many years since I've um, uh, had had the um, the well eaten those foods. What the question for me though, Brendan, is that and it and it was an interesting because we were seeing these um, walker in Antarctica. They were doing quite complex behaviour, trying to get the seals off the. The, the seals are safe on the ice flows, and the whales would swim at the ice flows uh, in a coordinated fashion to create a wave which would wash over the iceberg, particular sized iceberg, and wash the seal off. Um, and then they'd eat them. Um, we didn't get to see that, but um, you could see them stalking around. Um, and and this is this raises a similar question: How did what what was the first time they went? You know what? I'm not going to eat the rest of that uh, bloody big fish. I'm just going to eat the 270-kilogram liver that's in the middle of it. Um, because it's delicious. <laughs> How, who was the first – where was the first whale that um, took up that behaviour? And where were the eels when this was happening? Exactly, exactly. I now you've got what, what's the speaking of all this sort of news what what fake animal news have you been reading yes yeah, so it's a bit of a summary of some of the fake animal news abound in on well the twitterverse etc and, and a couple of these um it's just a summary from national geographic it's got some quite um funny little stories there and one particularly piqued my interest mark and that's um somebody tweeted about um here's the tweet here's an unexpected side effect of the pandemic the waters flowing through the canal, uh, canals of Venice um, and the canals of Venice are clear for the first time forever. The fish are visible and the swans returned. And um, it is fake. And, well, their the little capture there, it had um, 967,000 um, likes or loves their mark. And, um, yeah, it, it's fake because the, um, the picture of the swans there are um, from Burano, um, which is an island off Venice, which you and I visited together, as you probably well remember, Mark. We had a, a not nice little lunch there, and we um, purchased some um, local product there. Um, so that's one good example of it. Um, that you know, completely incorrect there um, with the with it there. The, the, the drunk, 
Another one is the um, the elephants that broke into a village in the Yunnan province um, while humans were carrying on social distancing. And, and this group of 14 elephants broke into the village looking for corn and other food. They ended up drinking 30 kilograms of corn wine and got so drunk they fell asleep in a nearby tea garden. Um, yes, and another fake report there. Now, you probably see lots of these, don't you, Mark, because you're on especially Twitter all the time. Um and TikTok and all of those sort of apps. Do you have TikTok? I do have TikTok on my phone. Oh, you're pathetic. <laughs> I'm sad. I know. I need. I need an intervention. <laughs> You do so. Yes, we'll link to that one, but it has a uh, um, some of the um, more interesting sort of fake animal news. Uh, I, I read about, an, I read an interesting article about this genre of meme um, that suggested that it was because um the the general formula was you know here's a uh, an um, a wild thing returning to a human dominated place. And the end point was, you know, this proves we are the virus. Um, we're the thing that damages the planet. And the argument in the article I read was that um, this sort of meme um, uh, creates a sense of hopelessness of that, you know, this is a, it's an intrinsic uh, feature of humanity that while we're around, um, natural things won't happen. And even when it's taken to these ridiculously fake um, extremes, um, it compels people to share them because they, it, um, you know, because it's hopeless, because there's no way out, because these things happen no matter what we try, um, it um, sort of is a self-fulfilling prophecy. We don't try, therefore things do get worse. Yes, it's... Um well, putting it that way, it's a bit depressing, isn't it, Mark? Um, <laughs> you were trying to do- finish on a high, funny note. So, I was. Um, dolphins swimming in Venice as well, Mark. Um, yeah, and that was um, – there were dolphins that w- – w- the video footage was dolphins swimming in Sardinia. Um, there certainly they- weren't dol- dolphins swimming in Venice when we were there or something else <laughs> swimming in, in the Venice canals, Mark. Um, I don't know whether it was live or not, um, but yes. Um, yes, so, well – I was shocked, shocked, Brendan, to learn that um, that uh, the ancient city of Venice, um, that that literally the canals are the sewerage system, that the toilets literally empty into the canals. So the life forms you are so uh, so eloquently describing were, and the tides take the waste away or, or or it used to be used to but it doesn't quite work that well these days although when they're putting up any new buildings or hotels they do put um, um, more modern plumbing in there at the moment don't they mark um, I think that's the regulation now um, somebody may correct correct me but um, yeah it is fascinating that whole system there um, it's an amazing place when I loved it and I will be going back there um, yes I think I will come with you Ah, uh, excellent. Well, 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 we'll look out for the dolphins and the swans, Mark, um, but don't hold your breath. Well, you may be holding your breath for another reason, depending on the time of the year that we go there, but the cows have cleared up a bit since the tourists have gone um, or, or decreased. And, um, yes, I think on that note, Mark, um, we might leave it here and um, Mr. Outro is jumping in and we'll talk to you all next week. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus 
Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.